everyone. I'm always on the hunt for awesome podcasts to listen to, and I wanted to take a minute to talk about a show I'm pretty excited about. If you're a fan of True Crime Fan Club, then I think Crime Salad will be right up your alley. Hosts Ashley and Ricky bring you a healthy dose of true crime every week with stories like the killers of Manitoba and the murder of Kellyanne Bates, sparing no gruesome details. If you like the show, make sure to check out their premium channel on Himalaya, where you can find all episodes ad-free and 24 hours early, as well as exclusive content and a members-only community group where you can chat directly with the hosts, which is my favorite part. Simply download the Himalaya app, search Crime Salad, and enter promo code SALAD for your first month absolutely free. So what are you waiting for? Go check out Crime Salad today. Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Pastors are supposed to be beyond reproach and on a pedestal. What happens when one falls from grace for having lust in his heart for a younger woman? Did he kill his wife, or did she take her own life? Okay, on to the show. Matt Baker met Carrie Doolin at Baylor University in 1994. The pair had a whirlwind romance, falling in love and marrying within three months although some folks say it was a byproduct of being a good Southern Baptist, really wanting to have sex, but not until they were married. Carrie went on to graduate from Baylor University, then received a graduate degree from Dallas Baptist University. Carrie was a teacher at Spring Valley Elementary School and an adjunct professor at Tarleton State University. She was a member of the Crossroad Baptist Church in Lorena, Texas, where her husband, Matt Baker, preached. Matt also graduated from Baylor University, then graduated from George W. Truett Theological Seminary. Matt preached at several Baptist churches in Texas prior to becoming a pastor at the Crossroad Baptist Church in Lorena. Lorena is a small town in McLennan County, Texas, making it part of the Waco metropolitan area. Lorena's biggest claim to fame was during the 1988 Democratic National Convention when Ann Richards, who would later become governor of Texas, read a letter from an anonymous mother of Lorena, Texas. Carrie's mother, Linda Doolin, recounted that Carrie told them that Matt was a really good Christian. Before their first anniversary, Carrie was pregnant with their daughter Kenzie. Eighteen months later, daughter Cassidy followed. Sadly, Right after Cassidy's first birthday, doctors found a brain tumor and she was hospitalized. Matt Baker said that, quote, there'd be days it looked really good, prognosis was good, and then turned around and went right back downhill. In late February 1999, Cassidy was able to go home, but this respite was short-lived. She was rushed back to the emergency room just after midnight on March 22nd. Ultimately, doctors could not save baby Cassidy. Carrie used a grief counselor and managed to get through the first year without her daughter. In 2000, their third daughter, Grace, was born. According to Matt, Carrie was almost two different people, extremely extroverted at work and in public, and more withdrawn at home. 
Matt claimed he was Mr. Mom and took care of the kids at home. He said that in the weeks leading up to the anniversary of Cassidy's death, she always struggled more between the two of them, and he felt that he was left to pick up the pieces. Matt claimed that in 2006, it was worse than ever before, so he took Carrie to a doctor. Carrie was diagnosed with depression and prescribed antidepressants. Matt said that Carrie did not agree with the diagnosis. He said that on the way home that day, Carrie had a meltdown and started hyperventilating. She allegedly tried to open the door as he was driving 50 miles per hour down the road. She said she needed fresh air. He didn't think it was a suicide attempt, just that she lost it for a second. Later that week, on April 7th, Carrie had a job interview for a new position at a junior high school. Matt said Carrie was nervous, although several of her friends and co-workers said that she was excited. Matt said Carrie didn't feel well after the interview, despite one co-worker saying she gave him a high five and said the interview went great. Even though Matt said Carrie felt bad, she allegedly drank a wine cooler that night and around 10.30 p.m., asked her husband to go gas up the car and rent the movie When a Man Loves a Woman, the movie they watched on their first date. So according to Matt Baker, around 11 p.m., he left the house, filled up the car with gas, and then went to the video store to rent the movie. When he returned home, the bedroom door was closed and locked, so he got a screwdriver and popped the lock. He opened the door and saw Carrie, naked in their bed. He called her name, but she did not respond. He called 911 at 12.01 a.m. and said that he believed his wife had committed suicide. As he was calling 911, he decided he didn't want first responders to see her naked, so he dressed her. However, later, Matt contradicted himself, saying at one point that he did not think Carrie had committed suicide and that he hadn't even considered the possibility. Although according to the 911 transcripts, he clearly says, I believe my wife has committed suicide. This won't be the first time Matt Baker contradicts himself in this story. But police on the scene found a typed, unsigned note on Carrie's bedside table and an almost empty bottle of Unisom sleep tablets. They concluded from these scant clues that she had indeed committed suicide. The justice of the peace did not even visit the scene and pronounce Carrie dead over the phone. Therefore, an autopsy was not conducted on Carrie Baker. A short time after Carrie's funeral, her maternal aunts paid her mother, Linda, a visit. They did not believe Carrie had taken her own life. It was inconceivable to them that Carrie would leave her small children to be raised by their father. What's more, Carrie had visited her grief counselor three days before her death and reported that Matt was carrying an unmarked bottle of pills in his briefcase and she was worried that he was going to kill her. Carrie told her grief counselor that Matt was having an affair and wanted her out of the way. Linda's sisters, Nancy, Kay, and Jennifer, as well as her niece, Lindsay, started trying to convince Linda that Carrie's death needed to be investigated. What Carrie's family had on their side, other than the information from the grief counselor, was Matt's story that Carrie was sick on her last day. 
Others who saw her that day said that she was not. Nancy said it did not make sense that a tired and sick Carrie would ask Matt to put gas in the car and rent a movie. The one thing that really seemed to give them the greatest pause was if Carrie did commit suicide, she would not do it in the nude. Linda said that even the choice of sleeping aid was strange because Carrie always bought a generic brand. At this time, Linda's sisters revealed to her that they had never liked Matt Baker. Linda was shocked. She had no idea. Kay told Linda that Matt had come up behind her daughter and made inappropriate sexual remarks to her. There were other incidents as well. In 1996, when Carrie and Matt were living in an apartment complex, Deanne Avalos said that Matt approached her 16-year-old daughter and asked her, Have you ever been kissed by a boy? She said, yes. And he grabbed her and kissed her on the mouth. While working in the youth center of one church, Matt was warned about his actions with young women. He did not seem to stay in any position very long, but up-and-coming pastors do move a lot. In 1991, Laura Wilson was a student trainer at Baylor University, like Matt. She reported that one day they were cleaning an empty locker room when Matt picked her up and sat down on one of the benches with Laura in his lap. He started running his hands up her thighs and between her legs. Matt, of course, denied touching Laura and said that he just scared her that day by turning out the lights. Linda finally realized Matt was not the wonderful man she had previously believed. She went to the police to ask them to reopen the case into her daughter's death. The police refused, having already concluded that Carrie's death was a suicide. The only evidence collected at the scene was a unison bottle, the remaining pills, and the typed, unsigned note. Only a few pictures were taken on the night of Carrie's death. So, the women began investigating the death on their own, giving themselves a moniker Charlie's Angels. They began hunting down leads, particularly Matt's movements the night of Carrie's death. The biggest lead came when Linda checked Matt and Carrie's cell phone records. They shared an account so that Matt and Carrie didn't have to pay a deposit when they moved back into the area. Ten days after Carrie's death, Linda noticed that someone was using Carrie's phone. Matt had given the phone to Vanessa Bowles. Vanessa Bowles was a young, recently divorced mother who attended their church. Vanessa's father had been the music minister at the church but had recently left. We'll talk more about Vanessa towards the end of the episode. Additional allegations of misconduct continued to surface. Not long after Matt and Carrie had wed, the recreation minister at the First Baptist Church was informed that Matt had grabbed a female custodian at the church. He allegedly told the custodian, who was in her 40s, that he wanted to have sex with an older woman. Around this time, the pastor was notified that Matt had cornered a teenage girl in a small room. She reported that Matt had made inappropriate sexually suggestive comments. The pastor talked to Matt, who, of course, denied everything. But it was a he-said-she-said said situation. They did not fire him or report him to the Baptist General Convention of Texas. Baptist churches have no rules that require a church to inform the convention if one of their pastors has misbehaved. 
1995, while a senior at Baylor, Matt was an assistant recreation minister at Columbus Avenue Baptist Church, which was one of Waco's most prestigious churches. After he graduated, he worked part-time as the youth and music minister at the First Baptist Church of Robinson, just outside of Waco. To make extra money, Matt ran an after-school program at the local YMCA. In June 1996, two months after Kenzie was born, he was fired. The director had received written complaints from four young female employees. All of these stated that Matt had sexually propositioned them. One of them said Matt asked her to meet him in the attic because, quote, I'm horny and I want to have sex with you right now. Another said she was meeting with Matt on business when he suddenly touched her pants near her genitals and said, quote, I just want to fuck you right here, right now. He also put her hands on his crotch. According to Matt, these were all misunderstandings. He said he had simply advised one of his female counselors to stop discussing her sexual exploits at work, and this is what caused the confusion around his alleged sexual harassment. Matt and his growing family moved around frequently. In 1998, Matt left Pecan Grove to become pastor of Williams Creek Baptist Church in Axtell, another town close to Waco. He expanded both the children's Sunday school program and the Wednesday night youth group. He was also very active in the community and invited everyone he met to visit the church. On Sundays, he spoke about a forgiving God rather than preaching hellfire and brimstone. According to one of Carrie's friends, she was the perfect pastor's wife with this vibrant spirit you could feel radiating across the room. She was in charge of Bible study groups using Beth Moore's works. Beth Moore is a well-known evangelist and author who is also the founder of the Living Proof Ministries, a Bible-based organization for women. She told everyone her door was always open. One young man, who had struggled with his homosexuality, later wrote Carrie's mother to let her know Carrie saved his life. Carrie had thrown her arms around him and told him, God will love you always, always. Carrie did not seem too bothered by any of the complaints against Matt, although she knew of a few. This is likely because Matt often twisted the narrative to chalk up the complaints to misunderstandings. When Cassidy was pronounced dead at the hospital, Carrie just kept rocking her. At Cassidy's visitation, Carrie laid down on her casket and wept. Just a few days after Cassidy was buried, Carrie drove to the grave and began digging in the mound of dirt with her bare hands. Their church, at the time, Williams Creek Baptist, brought food by daily and also built a prayer garden in Cassidy's memory. According to Matt, Carrie once ran out of the house with a knife and he found her at the church playground. He alleges she wanted to end her life in front of the children. In 2000, Matt and Carrie moved from Williams Creek due to the many memories of Cassidy that remained there. In 2000, he became a pastor of First Baptist Church in Risel, another town near Waco, where Carrie gave birth to Grace. Two years later, after Matt graduated from Truett, he accepted the ministry at Northlake Baptist in Dallas. Carrie started working on a master's degree in leadership and management at Dallas Baptist University. In 2005, the family moved once again back to Waco, 
to be closer to Carrie's parents and Cassidy's grave. Matt was hired as chaplain for the Waco Center for Youth, a residential treatment facility for emotionally disturbed adolescents, and was also called to lead the Crossroad Baptist Church in Hewitt, the same church Carrie's parents attended. There were only 50 or so people who attended on Sundays, according to Carrie's father, who was a deacon. But with a new neighborhood being built across the street, the church figured Matt could help it grow. Matt did bring in new families, and Carrie began teaching Sunday school and leading Bible studies. She became a teacher at a nearby elementary school where she was loved by students and adults alike. Carrie wore a Livestrong wristband to remind her of Cassidy. In February 2006, she began sending Matt gloomy emails, stating she was tired, stressed, and sinking. Carrie's best friend, Jill Cotts, said that most days, Carrie was extraordinarily cheerful. Jill said that one morning in church, Carrie leaned back over the pew to grab Jill's hand to say hi and grab the foot of some man who was wearing flip-flops. Carrie uncontrollably laughed hard in church, However, Cotts admitted when March would roll around, Carrie would lock herself in her bedroom and Jill would worry. The spring of Carrie's death, Jill didn't sense any difference in her friend. But in late March, Carrie revealed to her that she and Matt had recently fought over their prayers during Cassidy's last days. Matt had prayed that God would remove Cassidy's cancer and let her live. Carrie prayed that God would not give Cassidy more pain than she could handle, even if it meant that God took her to be with him that spring. Matt suddenly lashed out at Carrie, even sending her an email that read, You and I have discussed the fact that your prayer was the one that was answered that night, he wrote. I know deep down I hold a grudge against God and you for him answering your prayer and not mine. In some ways, I do hold you to blame for her death. Carrie told Jill that she thought something was going on with her husband, that he didn't seem interested in their marriage any longer. Carrie sent an email to Matt that said, I feel like you just took a knife and put it through my heart. I am not sure how a marriage can last when one person blames the other person for the death of that child. She also emailed her mother and said she thought they were going to get divorced. On April 3rd, Carrie talked to Jill again. This time, she was very upset and sobbing. She told Jill she thought Matt was having an affair. She had no hard proof of this, no salacious emails to find. Just a wife's intuition that her husband was no longer interested in her. This was the same day she visited the grief counselor and revealed that she thought Matt was having an affair and that he was trying to kill her. Again, how did she know this? Well, it was the bottle of pills she found that he tried to say weren't his. He told her he confiscated them from the children he worked with at the center. Carrie wasn't so sure. And a few days later, Carrie was dead. I have a scenario for you. Say I give you a task to pick out a wine you're going to love, but there's a catch. It has to be one you haven't had before. So where would you start? Let me tell you a little bit about my new favorite company called Wink. That's W-I-N-C. 
Wink makes it easy to discover great wine because Wink's wine experts select wines matched to your taste, personalized for you, shipped right to your door and starting at just, wait for it, $13 a bottle. There's nothing like coming home to a box of delicious Wink wine selected just for you. It's truly the best day of your month and it was the best day of my month this month. Just fill out Wink's palette profile quiz. Answer simple questions like, how do you take your coffee? And how do you feel about blueberries? Personally, I take mine black and I love blueberries. Then Wink sends wines curated to your taste. The more wines you rate, the more personalized your monthly selections. Each month, there are new delicious wines like the insanely popular Summer Water Rosé. There are no membership fees. You can skip any month and cancel any time. Best of all, shipping is covered, and if you don't like a bottle they send you, they'll replace it with a bottle you'll love, no questions asked. Discover great wine today. Go to trywink.com slash truecrimefanclub, and you'll get $20 off your first shipment. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash truecrimefanclub for $20 off. Again, trywink.com slash truecrimefanclub. I'm back to tell you about my ongoing cooking adventures with HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, say goodbye to endless grocery store trips and takeout food. HelloFresh has you covered. They have more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, so you know you'll get something delicious. Easily change your delivery days, food preferences, and skip a week whenever you need. Best of all, there's something for everyone, from family recipes to calorie-smart and vegetarian, and fun menu series like Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. My husband has thoroughly enjoyed being able to cook for our family, which is something I never thought he would do. And some of the stuff he's made has been really good. The Sizzlin' Saigon Steak Bowls were my favorite, so get nine free meals with HelloFresh by going to hellofresh.com TCFC9, that's the number nine, and use code TCFC9 at checkout. Once again, to get nine free meals with HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com slash TCFC9 and use code TCFC9 at checkout. All right, you guys. So you know I love podcasts, always looking for the best, always looking for something new. And I just started listening to this new podcast from Wondery and the LA Times called Detective Trap. Detective Trap takes you into the life of a cop who conducts herself relentlessly. It's hosted by award-winning journalist, my favorite guy, Chris Gofford, Detective Trap is the story of a detective who fights through her own personal struggles and society's indifference to bring a serial killer to justice. I just started episode one and I'm already hooked. As a true crime aficionado, I have to tell you this is definitely a show you do not want to miss. So while listening, make sure you subscribe to Detective Trap on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to right now. I'll also include the link in the episode notes. After the woman met with Carrie's mother, the Charlie's Angels, Lindsay, Carrie's cousin, went to Matt's house under the pretense of wanting a bracelet that Carrie used to wear. What Lindsay found as Matt searched for the bracelet was no pictures of Carrie anywhere, only a photo of Matt with Vanessa Bowles and the girls on the refrigerator. Linda discovered that Vanessa had helped supervise a sleepover for Carrie's oldest daughter Kenzie's birthday. She also found on the phone bill that the two, Matt and Vanessa, had talked over 1,700 minutes in just 10 days. 
Linda said that it appeared he called her right after he took the girls to school and stayed on the phone with her most of the day. Linda hired Bill Johnston, a former federal prosecutor and his team of investigators to look into the case. Three months after Carrie was buried, her body was exhumed and autopsied. The autopsy offered no definitive proof of how Carrie died, but there was evidence of Ambien in her muscles. Photos taken the night of her death also showed discoloration around her nose and lips, indicating suffocation. The Justice of the Peace reversed the cause of death from suicide to undetermined. Bill had Matt Cawthon, a Texas Ranger, look into the case. Cawthon then went to the Hewitt PD and said they needed to reopen the investigation or the Texas Rangers would look into it. The PD finally opened the case. Once the police reopened the case with a ruling of undetermined as the cause of death, they discovered multiple internet searches for Ambien on Matt's computer network. However, investigators could not search Matt's computer. It was missing and had been replaced with his secretary's computer. The ID stickers had also been swapped. Matt had no idea who had taken his computer or why. Matt also said that the hard drive on his computer at home had crashed and was no longer working. He was asked by the investigative show 48 Hours about the pills in his briefcase, and he said they were Carrie's pills and that they had never been in his briefcase. Another contradiction. On September 21, 2007, Matt was arrested and charged with the murder of his wife, Carrie Baker. Matt hired high-profile defense attorney Guy James Gray. Matt told 48 Hours that Carrie suffered from severe anxiety in the last weeks of her life, but no one else saw it. Also, he gave conflicting narratives about what happened the night she died. Once, he told Aaron Moriarty of 48 Hours that they had a conversation before he left and he kissed her on the forehead. A few months later, Matt told Aaron that Carrie had just rolled over and gone to sleep. Vanessa Bowles was the 27th person to testify in Matt's case. On January 19, 2010, Vanessa testified for the prosecution, being called their star witness by many. Vanessa told the jury she was raised a strict Southern Baptist and attended the Baptist-affiliated University of Mary Hardin Baylor. She met Matt in 2005 at Crossroad Baptist Church in Lorena, Texas. Vanessa said Matt offered to counsel her through her divorce and began flirting with her quickly thereafter. He told her he had a vasectomy so he wouldn't get her pregnant and he was STD-free. She asked him if he had done it before and he laughed, calling his wife clueless, before admitting, I did it once at Truett Seminary. Vanessa revealed that Matt wanted to murder his wife but he needed to make it look like a suicide because divorce would ruin his career. He gave her the details of the crime but warned her not to tell because she would be guilty too. He told Vanessa he had promised Carrie a night of sex to include bondage. After he handcuffed her to the bed, he put sleeping pills in her drink. He kissed and touched her all over, although he never specified to Vanessa if he took Carrie's clothes off or not. He said that she finally fell asleep and he kissed her on the forehead and said, 
give Cassidy a hug for me or give Cassidy a kiss for me. Matt then put a pillow over her face. Vanessa said that not long after Carrie's death, the pair went shopping for an engagement ring but did not get married. When Vanessa broke up with Matt over the telephone, he became very angry and said, I killed my wife for you, and now you're leaving? After they broke up, Vanessa admitted that she was embarrassed that she had ever become involved with Matt. Matt was found guilty and sentenced to 65 years in prison. He maintains his innocence and has appeared on 48 Hours several times. Just a few weeks after his sentencing, he received disciplinary action while in the McLennan County Jail for making obscene sexual hand gestures towards female jailers. After several hearings, the Doolins, Carrie's parents, received full-time permanent custody of Carrie's two daughters, which means they do not have to take them for visitation to their father in prison. There is a blog that contains information about the case, written by someone who knew Carrie just through school. Carrie's mother did not know the author of the blog, but became aware of its existence and found the following entry, prompting an email from Linda to Shannon. This was an email from Linda to the author of the blog, Shannon. It reads, Shannon, thank you for being Carrie's voice during this journey, almost six years. I remember so clearly reading your blog the first time. I didn't know you. I didn't understand why someone who wasn't connected to my family seemed absolutely convinced that the story of Carrie's death was a flat lie. Then I read, Remind me to tell you about the time we were both worried about bro's tax test stuff. We both knew he could do it, but were worried about his motivation to get through it as he should. Did I mention that she loved my boy? We worked together and worked together getting him ready. Literally worked together. One day, after the reading tax results had just gotten in and letters had been written to the parents but not mailed yet, she was so excited to share with me that she knew Bro had not only passed, but passed well. I was in the lunchroom with other parents that went to pick up their kidlets and make eye contact with their teachers and try to keep up with the pulse of things. I saw Bro's class come out of the hallway. Then I saw Mrs. Baker see me. She had a piece of paper in her hand. We made eye contact and she lit up. Then she skipped across the lunchroom to me. She didn't walk. She didn't glide. She didn't stand there with other teachers and just wave to me. She skipped with a giant Carrie Baker smile. She loved my boy and she loved and taught him so well that he rocked that freaking tax test. She was beaming. I was beaming, watching her beam over my son. Now, right now, I'm a cross between beaming at the memory, crying that she's not here, and anger, and now, a bit of relief. Linda continues. And I knew immediately, you knew my child. You knew who Carrie was. You knew her heart, her spirit, her essence, how deeply she loved. And you knew the truth. You didn't know the details or specifics. None of us did at the time. But you knew Carrie. I wept tears. I could see my precious child skipping towards you. And this was the beginning of our friendship and our journey together. I am so grateful. In 2010, 
Tom and Jan Purdy, who knew the Doolins from Calvary Baptist Church, began to push for Carrie's law, which would make an autopsy mandatory for any suspected suicides. Dr. Jeffrey Jensen, a longtime medical examiner, worked for agencies where autopsies were mandatory for suspected suicides and agencies where they were not mandatory. Dr. Jensen preferred to conduct autopsies on suspected suicide. Matt Baker is just one pastor of many in the Southern Baptist Convention who has been accused of sexual misconduct. The Southern Baptist Convention is an organization that was created to provide resources to local churches. That's just oversimplifying it, but that's the best way to put it. The SBC believes in the autonomy of each local church and therefore will not become involved if allegations are made about a pastor or other leader of an SBC church. An investigation that has spawned 20 years has revealed 700 victims of sexual abuse perpetrated by nearly 400 ministers and volunteers from the SBC. Again, Matt Baker is just one pastor, but there are hundreds more like him who believe their vows before God make them impermeable. Matt went a step too far and killed a precious mother, daughter, and teacher in the process. It's important to realize that sometimes the best people, the ones we look to with unwavering faith and devotion because of their calling and their vows, are the very ones that we should question the hardest. Matt Baker continues to claim his innocence while smearing the mother of his children. He truly is the epitome of a murderous minister. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast. You can also find us on Instagram, TCFC underscore podcast. And of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, TCFCPod at gmail.com. This episode was researched and written by Susie St. John, Produced by Nico at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. Content editing was conducted by Brittany Martinez. I'm your host, Lainey. <laughs>